Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Beautiful You. I'm your host, Avantika. Thank you so much for being with us here today. As you all know, we are celebrating Mental Health Awareness Month and we're releasing a brand new episode each week. We are also doing a 31-day challenge on Instagram where we'll be sharing a daily prompt. So if you don't follow us on Instagram yet, go on Instagram, look up at the rate beautifulyou.pod and if you're listening to this in May, you'd be able to still catch some of the prompts and you'd be able to do it. Our goal with mental wellness campaign is to have, by the end of the month, to to have the participants be more in tune with themselves as well as be more educated in different aspects of mental health and mental wellness. In today's episode, we have a really special guest with us. He's the founder of an organization called Bipolar India. He is absolutely a phenomenal man and I actually met him through a peer support group. He is the founder of Bipolar India, right? So they have a peer support group and I met him through that group and it's it's been amazing, you know? meeting him has generally been one of the um, best things that have happened to me through online communities. So we would be talking about bipolar disorder and his journey and the journey of, you know, Bipolar India as an organization as well. So before we dive into it, I would like to tell you a little bit about what bipolar disorder is. I have talked about it in one of my episodes where I shared my experience with bipolar disorder and we have also curated a video project where people living with bipolar talked about their experiences and even more. So do check them out if you wish to gain more insight on the matter. I'll be linking all of them in the description below. Bipolar disorder was previously known as manic depression. It's a mental health condition that causes extreme mood swings that include emotional highs, mania or hypomania and lows, which is depression. An individual with bipolar experiences unusual shifts in their energy and activity levels and concentration. Bipolar disorder has four types, type 1, type 2, cyclothemia and unspecified. It doesn't have a cure yet, but the symptoms can be well managed through talk therapy and medication. I go way more in depth in, like I said, in one of the episodes and also on that video project. So do check it out. It would be really helpful and really insightful. And... Yeah, let's get started with the episode. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month, we have an amazing guest with us today. Vijay is the founder of Bipolar India, a unique peer-led community founded in 2013. He's also the co-founder of Let's Walk Together, a Bipolar India initiative for disability inclusion. It aims to be a bridge between the vast community of persons living with mental health conditions and livelihood opportunities for them. He is the founding trustee of Mental Health Support Foundation India, which aims to help people help themselves. He has been living with bipolar disorder for four decades now. He has studied BCom at University of Mumbai. Before Bipolar India, he worked as a financial advisor. He also has a book titled A Bipolar's Journey from Torment to Fulfillment, where he chronicles his own story of bipolar disorder. He has been featured in a lot of videos across YouTube. He has been featured in a lot of articles as well including times of india economic times and there's so much more i could go on and on about him and it wouldn't be enough the number of lives he has touched through his work is insurmountable uh so let's have the man speak for himself thank you so much for being here vijay uh, welcome to the uh-huh. thank you so much for the over generous uh, introduction i would say <laughs> and for it was your an over generous <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you let it roll <laughs> i can say that it was <laughs> It was a, because you've done so much. Honestly, it is so um, inspiring to see 
all of the work that you've been doing and you continue to do and you plan on continuing doing it you know so it's been it's not um, you know it's it's just apt and i could just go on about it for a very long time to be honest thank you so much i'm humbled i'm glad to be on the platform today and uh, up for all the questions that you have to ask me avantika of course yeah we'll dive into it so can you yeah. tell us your journey about from being an being a financial advisor to the you know founder of bipolar india what has that been like firstly we need to get to the root of the issue mm-hmm. so that onset happened very long ago when i was say 8 uh, age uh, 14 or so yeah and like in many cases of bipolar disorder you know you know diagnosis uh, happens many many years after the onset so so what were it a sort of uh, the symptoms came up to me at that time was uh, feeling lost withdrawn from society from my i was in the 10th boards that time in my class from my class i would withdrawn from my classmates mm-hmm. uh, i was very depressed and i now i can recall that the depression was so severe that i was paranoid at a certain points of time thinking people were plotting against me i mean all these things we can now sort of connect the dots and place them into you know psychological terms mm-hmm. but i was absolutely clueless back then yeah so from that phase uh you know diagnosis took uh, a full 26 years before uh, when during my full blown uh, manic episode i was diagnosed mm-hmm. now what happened in the intervening 26 years is pretty inter- interesting yeah. <laughs> yeah you talked about my journey uh, uh, on the career front so right after my graduation i was a graduate in financial accountancy the, from the mumbai university uh was never really academically uh, inclined <laughs> so i was pushed into although i was quite a bright student but i had no inclination to really pursue studies with any degree of seriousness so i would say that i am now grateful that i did uh, complete my graduation that uh, background in uh, commerce did help me through my future days in the work that that were to come through my journey as an entrepreneur and later on as a in the financial field yeah. so uh, right after my graduation i recall i was age 19 the very next day not even till the uh, when the exam results come in after came after my exam last exam i had appeared for i joined my uncle in his enterprise you know my maternal uncle we were raised by my uh, maternal uncle in a small village back then called wasai now it's not at all a small village by any standards yeah. my parents had got separated at age 5 so he was a father figure to us uh, during those days of struggle and i joined him in uh, in helping his uh, you know sizable business that he ran he had a cinema theater you know, an offset printing press and i would say the seven years that i was with him it wasn't that i was working that was my learning curve you know yeah. so it was out from university and this was my post graduation in hard you know real life situation it was a phenomenal period of learning i would say because he was a very disciplined and an inspiring person himself it had to rub off on me you know his kind of you know the work ethic the way the sort of shouldered responsibilities about uh, the family and all the other friends i think that became the bedrock of how i was shaped in the coming years right uh 
down the years we found that our uh, you know uh, thought processes didn't match you know there there is always this generation gap <laughs> where yeah. the ideas of the young clash with the earlier generation and we decided to part ways of course amicably at that and he supported me even in my venture and that is how we uh, i founded frontline communications that was an audio visual enterprise Mm-hmm. and a pioneering one at that in a, we go back to 1989 where when there were a very few such enterprises uh, which were working in this domain you know so mm-hmm. what we were able to is uh, video projection and multimedia projection and other audio visual equipment rental for corporate entities uh, for events and things like that uh i had zero background in the technology field and somehow i was so passionate about what i was doing that uh, i picked up the ropes fairly easily and uh, in a sh- in the short span then uh, uh, say from say within the 5 6 years we were among the better uh, providers of the services uh, in mumbai i would say and some of our clients uh, rated us as the the best in india i wouldn't go to that extent of course right and uh, we had a lot of prestigious clients uh, across the corporate space the entertainment space and it was a very fulfilling journey but as we say when life is you know going on in a absolutely uh, on a perfect path there has to be a twist in the tail right and for me the twist in the tail was the diagnosis uh, of bipolar disorder well it doesn't happen how in a snap old, how old were you uh, at that at this age yeah so i was 40 at that time i oh. was single yeah by uh, at that time i was single planning to uh, sort of settle down there was a lot of things happening in my life when uh, this happened we had uh, sort of uh, recently moved into our new home uh, the first home that i had purchased with our money okay oh. i lived with my sister and my mother my uh, father had passed away long ago and as such we were separated as i said so the three of us so it's not that the diagnosis also happens like that in a snap does it yeah there is a story even beyond that, before that so my behavior had been erratic for i would say at least a couple of years prior to that mm-hmm. so there was a build up to it you know it's like uh, and awareness back then so this is i'm talking about the around the year 2000 yeah mm-hmm. so if you go back more than 20 years you can imagine how bleak the level of awareness must have been then no social media no internet to talk about i mean there was hardly real interaction happening on the net net at even that was nascent back then so the, the cross flow of information was not there the conversations were not happening happening so to expect family also to be awareness about a condition such as bipolar disorder was it a tall order right my sister being a very uh, observant sort of a person my elder sister that is tejal yeah uh, she she didn't know what was wrong with me but she knew one thing for sure that there was something seriously seriously wrong with me because all of a sudden i was making grandiose plans i was getting very irritable spending money like there was no tomorrow you know sort of getting into things that was sort of harming our enterprise i purchased a vehicle against a loan which we didn't need <laughs> you can imagine the scale of things the disruption that can happen and so she said that this must come to a stop and 
she was telling me that we need professional help but in full blown mania you feel that you are on top of the world and everybody around you is crazy and that's what that's the kind of space i was in at that time yeah that you, you don't understand me i am the genius i have been created to solve all the problems of, of the planet and stuff ridiculous stuff like that Yeah. So she sort of convinced me uh, finally uh, to see a psychologist, and she facilitated that appointment with Maya Kriplani, who was a noted uh, psychologist at Jaslok Hospital back then. Yeah. So I was rambling all the way in the vehicle from my residence, non-stop, absolutely non-stop. In fact, even at the psychologist's place, I was talking some rubbish. she just stared from stared at me at, uh, for a couple of minutes and said that you have come to the wrong professional he needs to see a psychiatrist urgently and my sister was so resourceful that she had already got the contact number of a psychiatrist and i think she had already planned an appointment you wouldn't believe this right but she said that i would not go directly to a psychiatrist so this was a softer way of arranging it you know right and we landed up directly from uh, the pedoror clinic to the santa cruz clinic of dr snell mehta who was my uh, psychiatrist the first psychiatrist ever in the florid mania phase it's i think very easy for a professional to make the diagnosis you know okay because otherwise like bipolar disorder order needs a lot of extensive sort of analysis and you know uh, going into history took 15 minutes flat to identify Uh, uh what the problem was and uh, he said that you uh, you are uh, living with manic depressive illness you know that was the clinical term for bipolar disorder way back then yeah and my illness had progressed to such an extent and he found he thought that i would be unmanageable at home so i was transferred from the clinic directly to the hospital holy spirit hospital and i was institutionalized for a week all right so that's how uh, the span of uh, you know being in ignorance and disarray to the diagnosis actually happened at the age of 40 mm-hmm. yeah. so how did that led to you being the founder of bipolar india oh yeah, yeah. now one thing that hit me when i was lying on the hospital bed you know because initially so it was like even after the medication began it was it takes a lot of several days for everything to sink in for things to stabilize it was when that period of stabilization began that reality sunk in you know mm-hmm. and then it hit me hard you know the thought that now that i am mentally ill it was very difficult to digest yeah and i am a i am a person who's heading an enterprise and now look what so where am i right so for me the metaphor was that suddenly somebody had pulled the carpet from under my feet you know that's what the metaphor i connected it to yeah here i was ruling my world so so called world imaginary world and this is what now the harsh reality was and the stigma the next thing was the stigma Uh, what would uh, extended relatives say my friends say what would my peers say would i lose the respect from my you know all the colleagues who had uh, i have uh, built up such a reputation with so all these kind of negative thoughts kept attacking my mind yeah and one predominating thought that i had was the sense of 
isolation and loneliness all right i felt terribly isolated uh, and the, the the thing was that i imagined that what i was suffering was for was a very very rare illness maybe one in a million has this i had the biggest notion that how prevalent it is that I, there were so many others like me also living through going through the horrors i have gone through. i think that that was perhaps the seed of communicating my journey to somebody else also maybe that could help somebody else you know that was where the seed came from you know that struggle of of being completely isolated and feeling that i am alone there's nobody to listen to me or things like that of course uh, that was just the original uh, space where i came from it was a long struggle after the diagnosis also because uh, you would be aware that the uh, the bigger the gap between onset and diagnosis the longer the illness is allowed to progress whether in physical or mental health domain it is more difficult to pull back uh, the person back to some degree of uh, stability right so but i had the strength of patience determination and uh, you know that perseverance to stick through the process so it took me a decade after the diagnosis and treatment began to find some degree of uh, you know stability that was how difficult it was and that's another message that i would like to share with people that we cannot expect results overnight uh, at times mental health is a complex phenomenon we need to sort of trust the process of course we need to go to a, a professional who we trust innately that is critical but once we do that we need to sort of go by what what is advised to us of course think for ourselves no doubt about it it's not that we are surrendering our thought process to the to whatever is told to us uh, but but by and large sticking to the process is important mm-hmm. so it was around i think 2012 13 that i became a little stable and then i began writing yeah so so the seed of bipolar india is actually in my writing okay so that is when social media had just taken root in india it's around 2010 or so facebook and all those platforms had come up and i have thought that this was a good space to explore my writing skills and i started a personal blog and on that one of the blogs was at the crossroads of life that was my coming uh, come on coming out in open about my uh, journey with bipolar disorder this was somewhere in 2012 that must have been going uh, so you can imagine back then not too many people were open about their uh, you know struggles especially with severe mental illness um, in public domain and i got a lot of response to it on my blog as comments on social media even from my school friends okay some negative most of most of it positive and encouraging yeah. and this is where the you know magic happened so reading that blog one of my mentor friends who is again an who was at that time an online friend from facebook punit bhatnagar rang me up uh, spoke to me for a while and then landed up at my home he spoke to me with me for two my, uh, my one of my mentor friends punit bhatnagar who was an online connect at that time yeah we, we were just uh, casual online connects yeah he read that post of mine he saw that there was some potential in it he rang me up uh, and then landed up at my home <laughs> right for two hours he greeted me heard my story and he says vijay 
we need to take this much further. It can't be limited to your blog. Can you believe it? On that day, Bible India was founded. He coined the name, he registered the domain, and he set up the shell website for us in a jiffy. Wow. So sometimes you can imagine, I mean, I can't seek the credit for what's, what we are all sort of benefiting from. It is the idea of a person who I consider a genius of a human being is always self-effacing, doesn't ever seek credit. But he's a person of ideas and ideas which add value to society. You know, that's what I've seen. Uh, something which is very specific to Kulit Patnagar. Yeah, so he set off this you know, whole thing rolling. <laughs> okay. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing uh, the journey with us. That's I, I I didn't know that it was the story went on regarding that. I had somewhat of an idea about Bipolar India, but I didn't know this is how it was founded. That is wonderful. <laughs> and it's interesting also, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> quite interesting. And the person had very little connect with the mental health field. You know, that is something even more amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somebody just an ideas person seeing the potential of taking it to an extent far beyond what I would have ever imagined at that stage. And we are seeing the results now. Clearly, he was very right, and this is just the beginning of bipolar India. You know, and I know Avantika, it's eerie, I would say, it's uncanny what he had visualized at that time a decade back. I'm living those days right now, oh. and when he was telling me all this, I had couldn't believe him at all. Trust me. I think, what is he talking about? What is the potential that he sees in me? I couldn't believe anything that he was talking about. He Let me be very frank about my own doubts. The self-doubts that we always harbor. Yeah. It's, he was very visionary, but honestly, it's the work that you have put in that has made Bipolar India what it is today. Uh, well, that's what he also says, but I think such kind of uh, impetus is necessary and it's not just that he set the ball rolling, he's been my mentor right through the journey. So for any substantial or significant move that I make about any, uh, you know, sort of uh, initiative that we are going to launch for our organization, I sound it out to him before I headed to it. Intuitively, I know that the advice coming in will help us move in the right direction. And he's always been there for us, you know, selflessly, never wanting to be in, under any spotlight whatsoever. So such kind of mentoring is invaluable. Let me share that. Speaking of um, mentors, Bipolar India talks a lot about how important it is for um, people with mental illnesses, people who are living with uh, mental disorders to have support and to have caregivers, right? How important would you um, say having a caregiver is for every individual? Uh, so, firstly, from my story, uh, Avantika, I might literally not have been alive without intervention. Mm-hmm. Okay, my recklessness was going so, so out of hand. And you, you can imagine what, what happens when a person is out in the streets, in full-blown mania. I'm a, I might be having been driving a car at that time and how ridiculously risky it can become. So without any exaggeration, I would say that without a caregiver uh, like my sister Tejal, I might not have been alive today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not to sound dramatic. Yeah. 
and this was not only leading to the diagnosis but hand holding me through my toughest days so having somebody unconditionally be there by you believing you in you when we when you know any severe mental illness initially crushes our sense I mean, everything. There are more question marks than answers to what's lying ahead in our lives, right? That's what we sort of experience. And then you have some reassuring person by you, all you know, day in day out, saying that oh, look, that we'll see through this. Yeah, this is just a phase in your life. How how powerful is that? It's very difficult to sort of describe the value of a compassionate, observant. Uh, and a, a caring a sort of a, a person in within family of course my mother was there but you know in certain such matters the elderly people can be clueless you know about how to guide us so for the love was forthcoming no question mm-hmm. yeah i got married much afterwards you know after the diagnosis so so my wife came into my life afterwards so of course now we have a sort of a <laughs> the caregiving roles have shifted <laughs> uh the father beaten has been passed and like my wife jokingly says that he is his own caregiver you know so that I, she hardly is my, is my caregiver because now that level of self awareness has been uh, sort of developed i know where i am headed for the better for this part of the journey and uh, so the need for caregiving is lesser but yes again i would emphasize when floundering the worth of a caregiver is sort of you know you can you cannot sort of uh, over emphasize that secondly i would say this in in our community i observe uh, a lot of conversations uh, around this at sometimes family members can be in denial mm-hmm. yeah and that can be very harsh for that person yeah, that look you are making it up yeah, yeah that you are making it up you are lazy friends of your age everybody has problems you know the typically stigmatizing and dehumanizing kind of statements that can crush a person's spirit and that those are the last things that the person wants to hear right mm-hmm. and this is so i'm not being insensitive to parents or siblings or whoever is saying that they might be coming from their own space but i'm saying these circumstances also do happen in a person's life mm-hmm. So here, what I would suggest is expand your circle. Yeah. I found my Puneet Bhatnagar. Can you find somebody else to support you? For instance, one of our members in our community was brought in by his one of his friends. Mm-hmm. He got in touch with me through Facebook. Kept conversing with me. Persuaded his very very depressed friend to somehow attend one of our meets, mm-hmm. and that brought about a turnaround in his life. A yeah. friend of his. you know so so caregiving doesn't have to be limited into uh, within the domain of family if within family it is of course invaluable but it can extend to your peers within your uh, if you are working in your professional circle some uh, few people who you can trust your story with who are empathizing who, who are non judgmental caregiving can come from a lot of sort of uh, people you know so let's not even limit it to the term we strongly associated with you know parents or siblings and yeah you know, just that is such important point because um when i went to the conference and i saw so many people living with disorders and their caregivers were there it made me realize that i never had a caregiver myself 
uh, not in my family like you had mentioned uh, everyone was in denial for like from literally getting the diagnosis to accepting it and to managing my lifestyle around it it's always been me who is handling it all the time and it has been incredibly hard to do that and uh, i realized like when i was looking at other people with caregivers i realized my life would have been so much easier if i had, if i had just been a caregiver you know who would be with me but now that i now that you bring up uh, expanding it to other people i got to thinking and i realized just now that i always had someone at different stages i never had like one person well, for a year i would have one person and then maybe we we don't um, maybe i don't confide in them as much and then it's it's the other one like i was always the constant of course but then there would be just like different people because you can't expect just one person to be with you throughout e- even you know even for them it takes a huge emotional toll but yeah i never really had a caregiver growing up um, at any point but it's like i had multiple people with whom i could share different parts of my life and uh, glad you acknowledged that and kudos to you that you managed uh, to uh, pull yourself out without a direct caregiver in your life i know how difficult that can be avantika yeah so kudos to you by the way you talked about uh, the, the journey of bipolar india the one important link i cannot afford to miss out on i spoke about punitar uh, punit batnagar there was another angel in my life Mm-hmm. Okay, almost at the same, uh, same time period, Puneet came in first, and a little later he stepped, uh, she stepped in, across the shores from Rochester, uh, New York, Jennifer Sertel. Jennifer. Sertel, S E R T L. Sertel, okay. She was. She is a thought leader in what she does. Uh, you know, a huge voice in industry and leadership change, uh, and uh, a phenomenal thinker. And guess what? she became my mentor for a full 15 months in that critical formative period of my life oh so when no you got questions the asked right? no Did questions you... asked wow yeah and you know the writing of my book i over a lot to shaping my thoughts my you know how i i would lead my life how bipolar india i mean what we would do with bipolar india and at that time i would say again in 12 13 i was not completely in remission at that time i was still sort of those you know the mini bumps in those journeys so i got a caregiver coming in from across the shores also right a phenomenal person with insights and wisdom i mean all the her words could be framed and sort of kept uh, for posterity that is how valuable her insights were yeah so and in fact our community was our, our big time for uh, a you know sort of uh, unstated contribution by the way the forward to my book has been written by written by her and it will blow your mind it's been written with such sensitivity power and grace <laughs> yeah it, yeah so, so that's a clue about how capable she is at a, as a writer and a thinker also yeah So that, that is another thing in our picture yeah so so i need to acknowledge that person also and and also the book also became a bridge of sorts uh-huh. so many people who read the book at that time uh, i know that the book now to me seems a very flawed piece of work <laughs> because i have evolved a lot since those years a decade down the line uh, but at that time it had relevance for the people who read it so thankfully 
and many people f- felt that uh, you know it, it touched their lives gave them hope it inspired them to believe in themselves and in a way that was mission accomplished mm-hmm. what the book also did was help people connect to me and then of course you know many people then joined the community through that route you know so, i absolutely love how you you know came from the diagnosis you, your thought process was okay i need to speak up so other people could relate to it and feel less alone it's throughout the years i've realized how important just talking about your own journey is and just, because you never know how it will help someone else feel less alone and you know how to like feel other person feel connected and besides uh, writing is therapeutic to me okay uh, otherwise also so even when i used to write my blogs there used to be on random topics everything under the sun i used to write a poetry uh, it could be uh, humor it could be about nature it could be fiction i used to write a lot of stuff back then so that was also therapeutic to me so you can imagine the therapeutic power of writing a book like this it was cathartic you know it was a release of uh, a lot of load that and burden that i was carrying inside me i felt lighter my self awareness grew so i tell a lot of people in our you know community everybody of us has a story to tell mm-hmm. right everybody i mean our from our community has a story to tell not everybody is uh, ready to share it in public domain mm-hmm. if not why not journal it for ourselves why not write a book for ourselves yeah mm-hmm. publish it when you are ready to but the story needs to be told even if it is for yourself that is so beautiful the story does yeah. need to be told yeah yeah um so one more thing i wanted to talk about before going further we you mentioned how in 10th grade you were experiencing you're going through depression uh and was that a time period where maybe anyone you know maybe your sister or any of your parents or maybe you thought about seeking help because you're going through a depression that's a very significant question you bring up the thing was i was not very communicative at that point of time mm-hmm. you know the whole issue with mental health is even whether it is for a professional or for family members to spot a red flag we need to communicate our problems uh, you know well right for them to spot a problem i used to clam up so all my turmoil within was limited to myself so what they saw was only the superficial not my real real uh, turmoil which was never really expressed to them so then can i blame them for not taking any uh, professional help at that time you know i i wouldn't you know avantika right second thing is i was in adolescence that i was 14 when i was um, in the 10th wards mm-hmm. that problem spilled over to my 11th when i joined college yeah intensified in fact i would say at that time so adolescence is also ascribed you know all these problems are also sometimes ascribed to <laughs> hormonal changes happening in adolescence and then when you go back to those number of years yeah so i am talking talking about <laughs> the period of uh, the late 70s mm-hmm. yeah so if you go back to the late 70s so it's almost like prehistoric times when it related to the mental health kind of awareness journey yeah uh, <laughs> the late oh, 70s oh yeah 70s okay 
फिजिशियन Will lead me on to somebody who could have helped me with my problems, right? Yeah. Of course, I'm not grudging what happened back then, but you know these things can nip problems in the bud. You would agree, right? Yeah. 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 Because so if that, you had gotten the diagnosis much sooner, the so many of the things could have been avoided, and it does yeah. get worse and intense intensifies as you, you know, age. So that's a so the, so the brain goes undergoes so many changes because of the multiple episodes that it encounters and things like that but i have learned to like, uh, take these things in my stride we cannot turn back our clock uh, turn back the clock and we right? it's just water under the bridge let go of the past and sort of uh, be in the moment do what you can best with what you have right now with you right because you know there will always be regrets and ifs and buts in life it's the, these are the imponderables which will not lead us anywhere that's the way i look at uh, things um so in today's episode i also want to explore the entrepreneurial journey of yours um but but before we get into it I, just one question that popped into my head just now that, that a lot of people back in like 80s and 90s were prescribed um shocks ects and stuff to treat bipolar disorder did you experience any of that during your journey or uh, do you think those work or like what's your opinion on uh so uh... firstly the psychiatrist i was under mm-hmm. was a very conservative psychiatrist very ethical one i would say dr snail mehta and i would be very thankful that uh, i was referred to a professional of the you know highest caliber of the highest yeah. uh, uh, you know ethical standards which which one would expect and a very compassionate person wanting to make a difference in the person's life so mm-hmm. his approach essentially was ECT as last resort. Yeah. Okay. So never through my journey have I been uh, through the ECT process. But before we stigmatize ECTs, let's also uh, you know that is also not a, the, the right narrative to uh, you know present to uh, to the audience. ECTs do have a place in certain uh, specific uh, situations. 
that is best left to the uh, you know mental health professionals to decide on uh, we can only say that in my case it was un- uh, not really warranted and that is why the route wasn't uh, sort of taken uh, yeah so it's uh, you know dangerous to generalize about these things mm-hmm. yeah and then sort of castigate a process like ECTs, which can be life-saving for people as well. Yeah, let's remember that also. I had this conversation with a um, guy who was in his mania and he got prescribed ECT and he he went through the shocks and everything, but his situation got worse in his situation. So it was was pretty brutal for him afterwards because um, instead of medications, he was just put on the shocks and it didn't really help his case. Oh, very well. Yeah, so see, let's also accept another aspect of our mental health treatments, not only ECTs. Yeah, so there are different uh, uh, forms of treatments available to us. Yeah, one we of course know, which is uh, the conventional form, which is there in the form of psychiatric medications that uh, we all are on. Yeah, the other form is the slightly more invasive one, which we would call as ECTs. And now we have the more, even more advanced forms of uh, therapies coming in, uh, such as RTMS, yeah, and so on and so forth. But, uh, Ketamine uh, therapy is still to be formally approved, but uh, in, uh, it is being offered in India. Mm-hmm. Now, I have heard about various experiences about all these modalities from various voices. So, on, based on these you know, experiences, we cannot model one as effective and one as non-ineffective. As you know, as uh, completely on one side or completely on the other side. You know, that's what I learned from my experience. Yeah. So how these different treatments would work for different people. That is why the judgment of the practitioner is super important, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, it is for the psychiatrist to take the call and for the person or the family uh, to sort of uh, agree to that process. Because now ECTs cannot be given under compulsion, if you are aware of it, under the after the advent of the Mental Health Care Act. Mm-hmm. Consent is needed. Without explicit consent, ECTs cannot be administered. So, uh, so if I am in mania, that means that I have lost capacity to, to decide for my, on my own behalf. So, my nominated representative or a family member, as the case might be, would take the decision in my, uh, you know, on my behalf, and either say yes to the doctor or no to the doctor. That no, we are not okay with it. And I am known of families who have stood well, uh, steadfast that no, they will not go ahead with the ECTs, come what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's the process, you know, so the approaches can vary. So the, so now it's important to educate people that we have this right to, you know, even choose the path of treatment. Yeah. It's not that some process is going to be dumped on us uh, and we have no choice in or say in that matter. Yeah, it's so we can... That- that we had that law reinforced in India. Yeah, so this was this is the Mental Health Care Act 2017 I'm talking about here. Yeah. An act um, of the parliament. Just before the recording, we were talking about how um, we expect too much from the, like there's not, not enough leeway given to the professionals out there. And we were mainly talking about physical uh, health situation, right? But then I wanted to talk about that regarding mental health professionals um, yeah. because what happens is sometimes, let's say, in a hurry or, I mean, people, there are humans, I get that. But then when it comes to something so extreme, 
it's just something which could be potentially extreme like the shock therapy or any medications which could be just altering just because the psychiatrist or any mental professional made a uh, wrong call it could potentially lead to so many other changes in the client's or the patient's lifestyle and just even physiologically it could affect a lot right yeah uh, so see here i would have i have a simple process here okay mm-hmm. avantika uh, judgments can go right or wrong because as we discussed you just discussed that they are also human beings right that error error can happen yeah so what do i look for in a psychiatrist let's turn it around from uh, to that perspective mm-hmm. one psychiatrist needs to give me adequate time per session mm-hmm. at least 30 to 40 minutes otherwise the psychiatrist doesn't know what i am going through mm-hmm. fundamental aspect of it right yeah he has to dig deep within uh, into what i am going through in the, as in the current frame of mind what are my uh, you know thought processes only then can he he or she yeah it's not always he he or she can assess what's my current state of mind is and then accordingly adjust medicine medicines or, or take whatever decision so the first point second point is i would demand my psychiatrist to be thoroughly transparent in the conversation mm-hmm. if i ask about the side effects of about a medication i would expect honest answers right yeah yeah about other possible treatments i would expect unbiased honest answers yeah right i used to get all of this and thirdly i need to get a sense that that my doctor look i have problems in my process as i explained that it took me 10 years to sort of come back to a semblance of stability yeah despite so many different drugs being tried combinations mm-hmm. terrible side effects at some points of time but i stuck the process you know why i sincerely believed my psychiatrist cared for me and at the end of the day he wanted me to be to see me as a healthy and stable person and he was putting in his best possible effort yeah so if that is coming across then why would i question anything else you know then there is no room for doubt in my mind yeah why is in this working and all those things go out of the window because i have got these three basics sort of sorted out three boxes ticked yeah yeah so and and the, uh, continuing on that part you know the, the community members say that look i went to so many side psychiatrists my earlier diagnosis was depression then later on it changed to so and so it's only after 9 years was i it was identified as bipolar disorder this is a global phenomenon let's accept that mm-hmm. psychiatry is not still such an accurate science yeah that uh, all the answers are available with that degree of accuracy the most of the diagnosis happens on accurate description of symptoms of family history so our communicating things with, with, with a lot of accuracy has a lot of bearing on how the diagnosis comes across for one thing and even with our communicating very well also there can be gray areas so let's be cognizant of that yeah. and give space to the practitioners for that whether it is a therapist or whether it is a psychiatrist that we are going to yeah there can be errors so so if the effort was put in 
then i wouldn't uh, sort of uh, blame the psychiatrist where i would be holding a sort of a slight sort of a grudge in my mind if i was just addicted to prescription and somebody says to me that you come after a month then i would have doubts in my mind that does he really care about where i am headed <laughs> how do we hold such psych- such mental health professionals or just doctors in general accountable uh that's a very tough question yeah, yeah i know it's it's <laughs> yeah. bringing up the memory that so right now my my psychiatrist that i uh, i'm talking to she is amazing even like the slightest side effects if i'm experiencing we would talk about it and i know that she is there and we are working together but with right. when i was 16 17 i was seeing this psychiatrist um i told him i had bipolar because another psychiatrist had told me so i did, i hadn't gone through any sort of interventions or test i was diagnosed because my dad was diagnosed so it's like oh it's genetic so yeah and then this psychiatrist uh, that i was seeing he prescribed me an antidepressant which made me experience short term memory loss as one of the side effects and he told me that is completely normal for you to experience it but i was 16 17 and it's so scary to experience something so severe um and he never once changed the medication but the psychiatrist that i'm seeing right now if something is this severe then she would change the medication he never experimented because i know that it takes experimentation with medication as well so how do we hold them accountable so i would say when i say you know i talked about communication right and you had this issue with memory okay so being sensitive to our issues is a key part of psychiatry yeah right so our problems cannot be brushed off as okay you have to take it in your stride that can't happen every time avantika mm-hmm. some are problems that affect our functionality our day to day living and you can't just brush them off as say okay look you have to live live with these side effects right yeah so my psychiatrist earlier and now my current psychiatrist dr milan balakrishnan both i find very understanding in those respects okay So if I, so I'll give an example. If I'm going to sleep through half of my working day, mm-hmm. how can that be sort of said as okay? This is a regular effect of the psych, uh, psych, uh, medicine, and you'll have to live with it for for your life. Yeah. So am I going to be a vegetable for my life? Are you expecting me to be that? So accountability is also about that. Being sensitive to our client's needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. being sensitive to a client's needs uh, being ready to adapt the medications if the need arises not flippantly and every time i go across and say look i think this is not working but on the sound judgment the, the uh, professional uh, makes you know based on the facts yeah so i have been very very fortunate in this regard that my psychiatrists have been very receptive to my feedback on the problems that i was going encountering so if i would talk about loss of motivation or whatever my medicines used to be tinkered to to adjust to where i would want to be you know sort of yeah right and important uh, importantly the focus was uh, the focus was on my functionality all through Mm-hmm. so accountability is not only about you know dealing with the symptoms of the condition but also ensuring that the person can uh, function in the day to day you know activities whether in uh, one parent might be a homemaker one might be a career person or student uh, like you are but what if 
you are going to flunk all your exams because of so you meds it doesn't help your cause that's it <laughs> so i would say accountability is about that and again the all the three uh, components which i had mentioned earlier about giving adequate adequate time being transparent uh, and uh, sort of coming across as a person who cares i think that is that to me is the hallmark of what i can constitute as accountability from my professional whether a therapist or a psychiatrist you know that is such important information because i hadn't thought about it um and that is that generally helps that is those three components here um and uh, one thing we would like to also say is you know here we uh, we uh, uh, we talk about psychiatrists there is so much need of concurrent therapy also to ha- happen oh yeah yeah right because uh, what i have believed or i have sort of uh, figured out is the drugs are for my biomedical problems mm. right what about the turmoil in my mind yeah the psych psych what, what about the thought processes my sort of mental blocks the medicines are not going to fix my mental blocks per se yeah so that is where a therapist can lend solid support to the ongoing treatment yeah i think in india that is undermined a lot and mm-hmm. we need to lay emphasis on that that is not only psychiatry 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 you uh, follow the treatment path and you come out uh, you know on a absolutely level walking uh, uh, you know path it doesn't work like that it has to be an interdisciplinary approach and also what we talk about the so often in the community avantika about the holistic healing approach yeah since we are talking about this that uh one is what uh, so both these components uh, psychiatry therapy is coming in from the professionals to us mm-hmm. what are we doing as self care you know what's that component yeah how significant is that uh, in our journey to sustainable recovery to reduce the dependence on medicines if possible over a period of time are we doing the best on our part mm mm-hmm. so now if we have evidence that things like pranayam exercise uh, you know the maintaining the sleep uh, uh, you know hy- uh, hygiene that uh, timings which is so critical to mood disorders especially yeah. right journaling what kind of an effort are we putting on our own part uh, to uh, to uh, to the extent possible not everybody can be a superhuman and get everything you know sort of ticked off to the extent possible no it's i i guess everybody can find time to uh, uh, you know exercise for 20 minutes a day do mm-hmm. pranayama for 5 10 minutes a day at least uh, you know, sleeping on time might not be possible depending on your work situation or you know kind of job you hold I, I and mean, that's a different challenge but at least the controllables that we have in our hands i mean are we uh, leaning with our weight into you know into into the recovery process mm-hmm. yeah and solidifying <laughs> of course yeah what are your uh, non negotiables to um, lifestyle management that you personally follow uh so for me my day is incomplete without pranayam mm-hmm. yeah when my pranayam i'm a bit rigorous about what i do 45 to 50 minutes of pranayam every day 45 minutes to uh, 50 minutes of workout a day that goes uh, workouts of our 5 days a week at least 
and pranayam almost every day of the week yeah because i don't consider that as a you know it doesn't need a rest day as such and i think that discipline also came in because of my early struggle with asthma okay yeah so even before bipolar hit me like a storm the bigger challenge in my life was my uh, rapidly intensifying struggle with asthma Mm-hmm. and it was life threatening so sometimes you know discipline is thrust on to you because it's not that i was naturally so <laughs> disciplined and a good boy kind of person i was one of the lazier guys around <laughs> admittedly but circumstances sort of lead you onto the path of discipline because there is no other choice in front of you if you want to stay alive you want to stay healthy and energetic this is what you have to put in every day of your life and i continued that effort to sort of <laughs> uh, pursue for my recovery from bipolar disorder so that discipline wasn't such a big sort of an onus for me or a burden for me yeah are you still on medication yes i am on maintenance medication another key question i think many people ask us in fact today i got a question from facebook just before we are headed into <laughs> this recording <laughs> are there really people who live without medication and are stable uh, with bipolar disorder so see my answer to this is very straightforward uh to me it is the objective that matters mm-hmm. what's my objective my objective is to be being healthy being balanced being functional being a responsible head of my family of the community and whatever else i do yeah and for me my peace of mind i have reclaimed through a lot of you know struggle that's not come easy the calmness that i enjoy today yeah. yeah the fulfillment that we talk about am i going to be compromising that for just wanting to be off medicines for some reason mm, right yeah medicines are to me you know so they are a contributor to what i am today okay they don't define me mm-hmm. neither does bipolar disorder define me any longer right so they are a small part of what i am about it's over over emphasis on you know whether i need to be on medication whether i can be off medication that we lose the sort of you know the whole picture so to me uh, i have never even been tempted to ask my doctor the doctor can we sort of taper down my medication and try out that whether we would be stable for say maybe th- after say the period of 3 months or so because i don't see the purpose of doing going that path mm-hmm. i'm on minimal maintenance medication now my side effects are as good as non existent mm-hmm. all my blood reports are normal i mean we worry about so many you know issues to related with long term medication all my prior parameters as far as the blood reports are uh, perfect to the t at age 60 also so what else can i ask for so wouldn't you agree the emphasis should be on stability being in remission rather than these questions of being off meds absolutely yeah 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 and i'm not saying that everybody needs to be on this path mm-hmm. like all conditions bipolar disorder the severity of uh, with which uh, with which it affects different people it also is different mm-hmm. environments where in which people live is different yeah so no two human beings are like no two human beings with the same diagnosis are not alike 
how they respond to medicine are not alike. This is not alike. So we are talking about so many different issues. Yeah, right. So, so it it is very person specific. I know of people who have been off meds for a while. Some of them do admit to going through their ups and downs. Mm-hmm. and i wouldn't want to go through the dark part you know why should i again go through even mild roller coaster kind of a ride when i'm stable with wing on meds you know when they are just maintenance med dosages if you are comfortable could you tell us which medicines are you on at the moment uh does it really help? because i i firmly believe not to share these things in public domain only that there's a reason ethical reason because you know in the past i have been asked this question by a lot because people feel if i am so stable for so long on these meds it me it translates to these meds being the best for bipolar disorder oh right yeah you know I that is the only it. reason that is the only reason you know for me not sharing this on public domain because I, it comes with a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. right yeah it doesn't really work like that yeah Of course, no. I understand. I only ask because uh, there are certain psychology students who would also be like listening to this episode. So that's it. But that's completely um, understandable. And yeah, I didn't think about it like that. So, yeah. so you know, when we talk about that, I am on so and so medication, and it has kept kept me uh, stable for so long. The 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 sort of message going across is, and especially to somebody who is vulnerable, who is in a impressionable frame of mind at that point of time. that look let me try this medicines and i have had such a sort of conversations with people i would uh, like to know what you are on what has kept you stable but one size does not fit all let me be very very honest so a medicine a working for somebody brilliantly will have disastrous results for me and vice versa of course yeah so um moving on to the entrepreneurial journey that you had yeah. what sort of challenges did you deal with um and continue to deal with while establishing bipolar india so in the journey of entrepreneurship one of the issues was my sense of integrity ethical mm. boundaries i had for myself you know businesses don't run on those lines easily yeah. yeah so i was a stickler for that cause but i stuck to my grounds Uh, so we had a select set of clients some of them were elite clients we did we are we are not uh, sort of hankering after capturing half of the market share so to be we are happy with what we did in our own way so we we could be called uh, as you know a boutique supplier of uh, you know equipment you know that that you know we could so we had a small segment of clientele uh, who was very satisfied with what we were doing for them and we were quite uh, content with that mm-hmm. yeah and my whole approach was building on that process you know and sort of taking it uh, so you know that coinage that time in those uh, decades was very uh, famous back then in advertising from customer satisfaction to customer delight you know <laughs> that's what uh, i believed in and i used to coin slogans for myself also you know so i used to, so we had our slogan was in pursuit of pursuit of excellence you know way back then we had that as our tagline yeah right so for me i never looked at it as well as an enterprise per se for even that was a you know something i was passionate about money was just an outcome that came in and fortunately i made a decent amount of money during that enterprise 
and uh, plus my uh, ability to invest the money wisely uh, helped me sort of uh, make me sort of self sufficient now so that i can uh, talk about doing this kind of social impact work now right and it what it did help me in uh, in conjunction with bipolar india that question you asked me about that entrepreneur journey that sense of leadership which was there that became innate to me you know to see adversities in life you uh, an enterprise also uh, sees a lot of these ups and downs by recognizing talent in the right people empowering other people yeah realizing that an organization is not about a single person that we need to take the back seat at various points of time even in, in the journey of bipolar india that is still a process that we are into which we are still not into that that we have fantastic leadership coming in from all age groups we are seeing that happen that is so so heartwarming and really really beautiful so so that is uh, again a model that i am imbibing from my uh, enterprise uh, journey you know because uh, i'll share one thing with you we were doing such complex and prestigious events such as the launch of microsoft pan india you know i mean we used to do the multi city launch and we were doing the mumbai launch simultaneously with the global events okay so oh. imagine okay none of our employees was even a graduate wow okay so my vision back then was who's going to employ such people mm-hmm. yeah so maybe i was a soft hearted entrepreneur even way back then none could speak speak english and we dealt with clients who used to come from the uh, from japan the us and europe and how, imagine how we pulled off such events and had thoroughly satisfied clients there was something working for us you, uh, i can imagine yeah none could maybe uh, they could understand a bit of english but nobody nobody could talk in english none of them <laughs> that's such a such an empowering opportunity for them yeah so i those sort of values i sort of carry you know they were there instilled me even before mm-hmm. uh, the organization took shape and uh, we are just sort of carrying it forward and now we are at the cusp of something really momentous i feel yeah mm-hmm. Bipolar uh, India now is uh, formalized as a uh, char- public charitable trust. In 2022, uh, you mentioned that in this short introduction, and we have named the organization Mental Health Support Foundation because the conversation needs to go beyond one diagnosis to uh, any mental health problem that a person is living with, because our community itself is not limited to bipolar disorder at all, right? so we have people with all sort of uh, uh, health diagnostic diagnosis and challenges coming in another key segment that we focus upon which we cannot overlook is family caregivers so we also have a separate dedicated community for family carers mm-hmm. because the, the kind of sharing that takes place between them uh, them is a little different from what happens in a generalized peer support uh, you know sort of a, a segment yeah and uh you spoke briefly about uh, the livelihoods initiative yes that is uh, named letswalktogether.org and we have named it thus because we believe all stakeholders need to walk this journey mm-hmm. you know including uh, the people living with mental health conditions hr 
companies policy makers government i mean you know all these people unless we are collectively on this bandwagon we will not make a dent in the massive problem that we face here so for instance we have 40 cvs already on the site yeah but getting them placed is this is where you know we need to sort of uh, take the next step forward yeah and uh, so now we are the next uh, phase will be to implement what we have been promising about all these years uh, and uh, really delivering on the promises one key lesson for me is avantika uh, our uh, idea of what, what recovery is is a very limited uh, idea Mm-hmm. recovery in the mental health space yeah. you know typically re- recovery from mental illness is construed as re- uh, the symptomatic format of recovery mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. look this person is completely sensitive or at the most medicine free mm-hmm. recovery to me is incomplete without rehabilitation and assimilation in society wow that goes a long way yeah isn't that uh, what it is supposed to be about yes yeah when we talk about 115 million indians needing mental health intervention according to the mental health survey 2016 17 mm-hmm. are is this a minority at that we are talking about at all isn't no. it a larger cause for society to also think on these lines that you know that assimilation of such a humongous number of people is a collective responsibility yeah we yeah. talk about how um, there are resources but in the end you see so many instances where people lose their jobs just because um, people at higher position get to know that they are diagnosed with a disorder and then it's considered to be a major weakness that they literally lose their jobs so that's not really recovery if you're not able to sustainable exactly. job have a livelihood and then again it's uh, that uh, chicken and egg thing yeah. so your loss of job affects your mental health there is also the question of uh, economic necessity in a country like india where we don't have real social support or do we have a social support system to talk about right mm-hmm. being unemployed for people people coming from a socially economically deprived background how are they going to sustain themselves so they are the these are the real hard aspects also uh, which are uh, which need to be part of mainstream conversations yeah when we talk about such stories so that is why firmly believe recovery is incomplete without rehabilitation and assimilation and mental health support foundation is going to bridge the entire journey we are not going to talk about just symptomatic recovery to us that is not doing uh, you know justice to the cause yeah so we are going to straddle all the point pain points across the <laughs> path i am so excited for india's future it looks so bright and there are so many cool things which are happening which are insane you haven't even talked like about half of the things which are in the working and it's honestly i'm so excited yeah so i think so it's better to uh, let the work talk for ourselves you know rather than talk about future projects that's what i believe in so the, of course there is so much of exciting uh, stuff happening one is um, our ongoing collaboration with agatsu foundation which with uh, we have found so much synergy with you know 
their objectives of their approaches their whole uh, way of looking at mental health is very very aligned with the way we are headed uh, you know so that is because we are careful with the organizations we align with and join hands with okay, we are not so hasty in that respect yeah. yeah so that is one of the things that i can talk about because now that is at a you know well developed state of development yeah and we are collaborative on uh, on a lot of community activities which i uh, you know i think will help our community members in mumbai at least uh, to a large extent uh, uh, in feeling less alone feeling less sort of uh, distressed yeah uh, these kind of supportive uh, mechanisms will help in uh, in these important areas so might not seem very critical from a, a broad perspective but i think they are significant yeah, yeah. yeah? because there, there was some research i just led read yesterday about the impact of loneliness on health Yeah, right. Other goes a long way. It, um, people say that it has a very debilitating effect. Yeah, um, even on physical health, it's not just the mental physical health. So, so at one level, our community also does that. You know, at least on under the virtual level during our peer support meets. Uh, opening up even during, within the meets also uh, pros therapeutic appear uh, therapeutic for persons it's a lightening of uh, light you, know, you feel lighter as a human being that okay somebody's listened to me and for once nobody has judged me or looked at me with uh, you know strange eyes a kind of uh, you know those reactions when sometimes family is not uh, so easy to convince yeah <laughs> so these safe spaces are so important and i i understand that the numbers we are uh, dealing with are very small right now we are not creating that kind of impact but we know we have a long way to go <laughs> and i think around 700 or 800 people pan india have joined right yeah, we, we we already are at, uh, at that number but i i think we have still a very very long way to go yeah And as I shared at the World Bipolar Day, you know, conference, I feel it was a ten-year of internship. That was what our journey has been about at Bipolar India. Our yeah. real work begins now, you know, and that is what I'm most excited about. Our real work, I think, which is going to, uh, I think, actually reach out to our community members and even beyond our immediate community. Why should it be limited only to the community? that uh, people who are formal members of the community for instance no we will it should be to society yeah to to reaching out to society is the larger aim yeah that's true i'm so excited for bipolarity yeah. <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> uh, i had one another question we often see people with mental illnesses achieving great strides be it in you know technology or entrepreneurship or social sciences or innovation um but at the same time there are people who are struggling to keep a job longer than let's say 3 months so what what would you say is different in these cases uh again as i said it all the uh, that the root of it if you go to it uh the severity of illness uh, the the disorder can vary across persons uh we have not touched upon comorbidity at all mm that's yeah that's another important so for instance i have uh, ocd as a comorbidity mm-hmm. Di- again diagnosed very late <laughs> right as for the uh, audience <laughs> could you tell us what comorbidity is so 
comorbidity is when there can be two parallel diagnoses at the concurrent time yeah so uh, we talk about physical uh, morbidities yeah somebody living with uh, you know, diabetes or something like comorbidities but in within the mental health space you could have comorbidities some people are uh, you know the, the the big challenge is addiction for instance mm-hmm. yeah. comorbidity of addiction with bipolar disorder is very common and with several other mental health diagnoses also right so i know people within our community who, uh, who have borderline personality overlapping with border bipolar uh, disorder some people have come through a background of ptsd so if you look at these sort of aspects you know is every person with bipolar disorder going through similar challenges at all then no first thing first you know that is just in terms of diagnosis part second part environment you talked about support at home you know caregiving so what if environment at home is outright hostile forget non supportive or uncaring third layer outer society what if you come from a marginalized background lgbtq hai mm-hmm. if you are a dalit minority religion where you are you know persecuted because from of the religion you belong mm-hmm. are we talking about these aspects which we conveniently want to sort of uh, overlook if you are living with a condition with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia and you have lgbtqi can you imagine the kind of discrimination and stigma that person faces yeah we have we talk about stigma only we talk about stigma only about mental health but there are many segments in society we are who are already bearing the brunt of stigma and discrimination yeah for the intersectionality that comes yeah. in correct so the person's sexual preferences the gender equation so many things so that is why firstly i would say comparisons are obvious as if that is a you know niche if that cliche that we talk about but beyond that uh, a person comes from so many various backgrounds like aparna piramal raje spoke about uh, her part uh, you know her experience at world bipolar day and said so candidly that i was in that space of privilege that i could access therapy okay i could afford many other things that uh, you know financially that she didn't have anything to uh, you know immediately worry about and look uh, i'm not again comparing uh, situations i have been the sole uh, person running the household expenses from age 19 to 60 till this age and through all these ups and downs what kind of a sort of a you know stressor is that to that person during uh, turbulent times oh yeah i would say i was in a place of privilege as compared to many others i mm-hmm. yeah so it's all a layer question of layers and degrees that you feel there are so many infinite layers we talk about so okay second aspect at an individual level it's also about attitude and approach mm-hmm. my psychiatrist is to say that uh, one thing is the illness itself what it does to you and then well, there is something which is your innate nature and personality so it's my sister india hasn't even touched the surface yet and we are like just beginning to talk about this at a larger scale 
so 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 there could be a problem in the approach also of the person yeah and again this is not judging individuals the illness itself is so damaging to the person's spirit and all that yeah, yeah? but given all the circumstances there would be some uh, maybe 10 people who will take up the challenge lead their lives yeah and there would be a set of people who would succumb to the problem i'm not judging people here yeah i am empathetic to both sets of people towards both set of people yeah ultimately we are looking at human beings first we are not looking at successes and failures here right and I, that has been observed uh, even in phys- the battles with physical health it's not just with mental health yeah so our attitude and approach to what our challenges are can also shape how we uh, you know sort of face up to them that's my personal learning and observation from uh, life as a whole right yeah because i could have given so easily given up my battle against asthma also many experts had given up on me literally if you will find this dramatic many experts had given up on me that we have tried our best this your case is hopeless but there was something within me said no i got something better to you know in life stored for me so so if you have that sort of a, you know resolute approach so so in in a way it's a fire which is uh, which refuses to get doused <laughs> okay yeah so so that spirit helps and then of, of course for, uh, good luck fortune also plays a part i have had my more than my fair share of luck with kind mentors friends supporting people coming into my life how and they ka so so a multitude of things so good fortune uh, and that is why i have become such a appreciative and a person who holds gratitude with such an as a quality to have because i know that i wouldn't have walked this walk alone there were so many supportive factors <laughs> so if i am in this space i am not suddenly going to forget about those people who were there with me in those times are there with me even now today <laughs> This has been such an insightful conversation. Um, we would be coming to an end, but before that, do you have a message for all the listeners who are listening to the episode right now? Yeah. Uh, so, just, uh, not a very long message. That, but, but I'll tell you one thing. That was a turning point in my recovery journey. Mm-hmm. It was around two thousand eight. when i was uh, down in the dumps financially things were not in good shape my marriage was on the verge of a breakdown we have, uh, you know it would have we would have separated at that time we had a young uh, child uh, my relationships with others were not so hunky dory either i mean everything that had to go wrong was wrong mm-hmm. and then at that on that day i sat i sat in my chair and i was a visualizer i decided i am not going to continue my life like this i give myself 5 years to be financially successful to live a life that i visualize i want to uh, to be a happily married person to successful to be successful in all my relationships mm-hmm. healthy physically and mentally and in 5 years times i was living that life ah uh, yeah So, so what my message is at the end of the day, mental illness at a point of time crushes your self belief. 
you know anything else coming from others also we take it with a pinch of salt no no but i know that i am worthless they they are encouraging me because they mean well for me i am now my case is beyond any hope you know that is what our mind tricks us into believing this is where i think self belief is so critical to recovery in a mental health journey so critical whenever feeling dark tell yourself this where where you are right now is a temporary phase this is not how it's going to look like after a few months few years you don't know when mm-hmm. it will be brighter up at the end of it yeah that is so wonderful resilience is one of the things that always help you stand apart yeah thank you and i that this is something i said that must go across it is not something i wanted to just share share as a super motivating kind of a message but what really sort of i bulldozed my mind and that's into believing at its peak <laughs> oh, of course talking like like i had said before even before the recording always like every single time we have a conversation you always make me feel so inspired and motivated and it always ignites this passion in me uh, because i see you do all that stuff that you're doing and it is so inspiring you know um even at the stage of not giving up and you are yeah you're like it's very fresh to be it feels very um encouraging to be around you thank you so much and uh, vice versa i would say that it's so encouraging to have youngsters like you who are open about their uh, journeys it's so so refreshing to come across people like you avantika who are uh, bubbling with energy full of ideas passion to make a difference i think uh, you know the future of mental health support foundation is secure when people like you will be the next uh, rank of leadership i can i am assured about that <laughs> it would be yeah. a pleasure yeah <laughs> um is there anything that you would like to talk about or add that i might have missed out on or i didn't ask uh yeah just one thing that i would like to add is that our conversation was of course more about mental health but one needs to also learn to step back in life at certain points of time and look at the broader picture mm-hmm. at at a point of time when when a person is diagnosed the illness becomes the overwhelming factor in life oh. one cannot look beyond that illness okay oh my god i got bipolar disorder now i got this now I... again that's a natural process i was there, there as well mm-hmm. so what do i mean about stepping back and looking at the larger picture life is a massive canvas life is a massive canvas today i know the bipolar disorder is a blip on the canvas mm-hmm. yeah and at that point of time that was my whole canvas i couldn't see anything else on the canvas so you know the transition we need to understand life is such an experience and illness cannot allow you know uh, allow a person to uh, you know dominate it so much that the illness becomes a person it is not a identity either yeah we are far far bigger than an illness or a diagnosis yeah learn to step back life is a magnificent experience and then you will see things in perspective and relegate the diagnosis to uh, a corner where it is meant to be and of course that's a transition i'm not saying it happens as dramatically as that yeah i'm learning i uh, yeah throughout the last year with my therapist 
that's what we have been focusing on because i am past the acceptance stage but now how do i advocate for mental health and share my journey but at the same time not make it my identity you know, there, there's a fine line you could talk yeah. about it but at the same time i know that i'm more than the diagnosis and i also want to make sure that others know that as well because you're more than your diagnosis that it it doesn't need to put you in a box absolutely agree with you on that avantika and i think uh, these things come naturally to us we learn by experience you know uh, you will all you are young you have your life ahead of you <laughs> so so in fact uh, let me put this also on record that if i were to go back to my age 20 i was not even 10% of what avantika is in terms of a self awareness a groundedness a focus a passion so so i have think it is mind boggling that what these people can achieve in their lives you know and that is what the whole thing is how, how it excites me <laughs> yeah and i really mean what i'm saying you know because yeah. i can see the difference between me at 20 and when i see the you that 20 other uh, 25 and other ages you know <laughs> they are so sort of sorted out <laughs> they're so talented <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so um thank you so much for your time i will be linking bipolar india's um website links and everything on the, in the description uh and also instagram as well uh, thank you so much for your time i really appreciate thank it thank you so much uh, and as usual we have overshot quite a bit i'm sure <laughs> no no it's completely fine this has been a very cool <laughs> conversation and i'm sure everyone is going to love it so thank you for your time again Uh, you're most welcome most welcome and thank you for having me avantika thank you everyone for sticking to the end and listening to the episode i hope you enjoyed it i hope you found it insightful if you did do share it with your loved ones the people that you know so it reaches out to more people and help someone out there all of bipolar india's instagram and website and more about vijay's social media will be linked in the description below bipolar india has a very efficient pan india support group for not just people diagnosed with depression anxiety bipolar disorder and many other disorders but also for the caregivers of such people so if you're someone or if you know someone who fits into any of the categories do tell them about bipolar india they've been doing an amazing work and Yeah the um support group really helps being a part of support group knowing and you know hearing other people going through something similar and having a safe space really goes a long way in the process of recovery my instagram and email will be linked down below if you want to reach out to us please do i would love to know what you thought about the episode i would love to get your feedback and what kind of content you would like to you know see more of and yeah thank you for being here i'll see you in the next episode i love you Bye.